0: Tonight we're going to be reading out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that the women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with with what is proper for a woman who profess godliness with good works. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Good evening. It's always a temptation to say morning. I guess I just did, so there you go. Ruined that. Uh, I want to say before we get started that I really... Um, appreciated Mike's message last week. If you were not able to be here and you didn't listen to it, you know, feel free to do that on the podcast or, um, we do post the sermons on the YouTube. So if you want to see Mike's wonderful face, you can do it on YouTube as well. But I was just so appreciative of, of that message last week. And and it definitely leads us into, in this passage, um, uh, tonight, and not just because it's the next one, but just, you know, thematically, it was, it was great. Discussing prayer. <clears throat> and tonight we're going to touch on, on some of those things. Um, I wanted to take a step back. First of all, hi, I'm Nikolai. If I haven't met you, hello, I'm one of the elders here. Um, I would love to meet you. Um, this is one of those passages that is... Um, sometimes uh, it's difficult. This this next section that we're gonna we're gonna touch on for the next few weeks is sometimes seen as uh, contentious, or, or it can be presented that way. Um, and I think sometimes, and we're gonna talk a lot more about this as we go through this passage. Sometimes when we go through God's Word, and in the way that we go through God's Word, church, right? So we we only grab a few verses at a time. And it's really easy to start to see God's Word as being segmented. And this has been brought up a few different times during the series, but Timothy, and, and as a consequence, all the other letters that are sent, they were meant to be read all at once, have a, have a theme and a, and a follow-through and a um, main ideas, big ideas that thread through. And it's, sometimes it's difficult, so unless we actually every week read through the whole letter we can sometimes miss it and uh, we could do it this week i forgot my watch so i don't even know i don't know what time it is we could just spend a long time up here but we're not going to do that tonight um but it's easy to miss the trees miss the forest for the trees miss the forest for the trees thank you for that affirmation then i see the nods out there um We can get things exegetically correct. And I I love teaching exegetically, slowly going through and drawing out expositionally. And I think that's a great way for us not just to learn God's word, but to teach through God's word, because we get all the good stuff, right? We're mine. I had a professor that said, it's, it's like you're mining. Let's dig down deep and find good stuff. But sometimes we do that and then we, it's like we line up what we dig out right there and it's segmented out and we lose it. We miss it. And so what I hope we can do tonight is we can sort of go back in and, and sort of make sure that we don't lose that aspect in this passage And this is a passage that is easy to do that. It's so easy to lose the bigger picture. Uh, But as we do that, I I wanted to ask um, in my notes and introduction, begin um, illustration. So have you guys seen Lord of the Rings or have you read Lord of the Rings and or both? Seen it okay that's okay that's all right if you've only seen it haven't read it it's okay you'll still get it it's you know that's great the um and just so you know spoilers I mean the book was published in 54 the movies came out in 2001 so I mean spoilers if you haven't seen it sorry but um I I, I love Lord of the Rings but what's What's great about it is we get such big themes. Uh, you know, Tolkien's kind of big idea was to create a new sort of modern myth. Myth not meaning something fiction. Myth meaning a big idea that teaches big themes and big ideas of virtue and, 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 and things like that. And so he, he set out to do that. And if you haven't read it or seen it, uh, the first book, The Fellowship of the Rings, kind of the point is we, we're introduced to the mission and then we get the cast of characters that are going to fulfill the mission. Okay? Baseline. It's called Fellowship of the Rings because when they come together into a council to figure out, what are we going to do with this ring of power? It's too dangerous to keep. We have to destroy. That, that becomes the mission. We're going to destroy this ring. And you have these companions that are all together. Nine of them set out. And you have this fellowship. And that's built. And it's funny because we keep... In that book, it's talked about, it's the fellowship, the fellowship of the ring, they have a a single mission, but they also are driven by this connection that they have with each other. So they have a mission and they have a fellowship. And that's what goes, and that's what really drives the story. And you have different characters who are, who end up in different places because they're following those two things, the main mission and a fellowship of people around that mission. If you're reading the book and like me, you'd get to the part with Frodo and Sam and kind of maybe speed through because you want to get back to the action. But talking about those characters, you have the main I mean, the main thrust of the whole mission is this ring, and they're they're taking this ring. And you have Frodo and you have Sam and they're traveling together. And at a certain point you think, man, it'd be a bummer to be Sam. You're just like starting fires and cooking, and it's just You're just wandering around with Frodo. But then at a certain point the the roles kind of shift and you've got where he has to step up and he has to take on responsibility for the mission and he's got to move it forward. There's even a part where he, he has the ring and he has to carry it forward because they're a fellowship around those things, uh, around this mission, around, around this, this, this thing they're going to do this is also carried through in all of the other aspects. All the other characters are motivated to complete these different tasks because of either the mission or the fellowship. And I bring that up because it is too easy for us to go into the scripture and forget that's actually how scripture, or I should say the gospel is communicated to us. There's one mission that we have and we have a fellowship around that mission. And sometimes we forget that. I bring that up because, I'm going to use that as an illustration later, but the other reason is because we can forget that around certain theological issues where all of a sudden we set aside the mission, we set aside the fellowship, and we sit down, we pull out the daggers, and we fight for a bit. For some reason. I don't know why. But it's like we lose sight of both the mission and the fellowship. This is one of those areas. And it shouldn't be. So going, going to the text, we start to see that what it is that God has given us is this big mission, this big idea. Uh, and I kind of want to point back in, in Timothy, let's look at uh, in, earlier on in chapter 2, we have that mission. In fact, Paul starts to talk about, in the beginning, he said, hey, I want, I want everyone to pray. Right? We should pray for all people. And then he kind of gets distracted. He distracts himself from this discussion of everybody praying, and he gets stuck. Look at verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> it says, this is good, and this is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And then he gets lost for a second and just starts talking about this mission. This is the point. This is the big deal. God wants everyone to be saved. Right? And he kind of gets lost in it, and he says, that's why I'm a, I'm a minister. And then he's, okay, okay, all right. Back to his train of thought. Then he goes to verse 8. He says, okay, anyway, and then he kind of starts again, right? Uh, but here's what's interesting about this. Um, I, I pulled up several commentaries on this, and more often than not, verse 8 instead of being the point where we kind of pick up on the conversation again, they take verse eight and they kind of jam it in the last section. Oh yeah. And men pray too. The real thing it wants to highlight in the commentary, which is usually the reason you would buy a commentary on first Timothy is for this passage is we want to talk about the role of women. And we start jumping off from verse nine to start going, in that direction. But that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is not. Let's clarify some things concerning women. That's not the point. The point was Paul was talking about we all should pray. So Paul gets distracted by the mission, which is funny that we even say it in here. Paul gets distracted talking about important theological things by the mission of God. It's a a joke because that should be not a distraction. That's the mission. It's a good reminder. But back in the text, we get to verse eight. Verse eight picks that back up, but it's almost like you read some of these commentaries and it's like verse eight doesn't exist. But without verse eight, we've completely lost it. Look at verse eight. It says, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Verse nine starts with a likewise. How can you start a conversation like that while you're missing verse 8? It's, it's pretty weird. But you look at verse 8 and 9, and you see that these, these are supposed to be together. They go together. We're having a bigger conversation here than just this thing. So this big mission is for us to relay the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes into this. This is actually how you do that, interestingly enough. We'll see that here. So look at verse 8. We're going to look at verse 8 and verse 9 and kind of deal with a couple of um, specifics in those verses. And then we'll pick back up and see how it all goes together. Verse 8, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Every place. What does that mean? Is that every single place you go, you go into a room, I got to pray again. That's not quite the point. The point is, most likely for this, is that churches would meet in a big assembly, and then you would have possibly house churches that'd be meeting. It's like, it's not just for the big assembly or when the apostle shows up. We want men to always be praying, always, everywhere, in all the meetings, all the time. And that is the main point. Then we get something specific where it says, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. This is something that would apply to that. So this is how you should do that. This is the manner in which you should do that. Notice what it says here. It doesn't say anything. Look at what what is written. Uh, Lifting holy hands. What does that mean? What's a holy hand? The holy hand, what it means is when men come together, their hands, it has nothing to do with hand washing, which is interesting because that may have been some of the practices depending on the sect of Judaism you're a part of or other religious practices. But what's being talked about, holy hands. What's meant is in a a concept sort of way, if someone does something wrong, we could say that they they have that on their hands. What did Pilate do when he finally said, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this Jesus guy. I'm I'm done having this conversation. It's on you. What he What did he do? He washed his hands. Let's do that. Look at Look at James, chapter four, verse eight. There it is. This is obviously part of a longer context. Here it says, "Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded." James hits both, not just your actions, but your heart, right? But the point is, is that your hands be, be clean, be, be without sin. The point here with holy hands, it's sort of like in the temple, you'd have utensils that were used specifically for uh, use in worship. They were holy. They were separated out. They were dedicated. They were, they were specific use for that thing. Hey, men, when you come together, you come together with holy hands, meaning your actions— have been dedicated to the Lord, whatever you have put your hand to the plow or the pen, it is holy unto the Lord, whatever that is. You're a butcher. You cut steaks to the Lord, right? Whatever you're doing, it's dedicated to the Lord. It is is holy, meaning it is we have without blemish. It is dedicated to him. That actually says a lot. We could sit there and really talk about that. We won't. We got places to go. But look at that, so holy hands, come together with holy hands. It says lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Guys, do we, when we come together, is it easy to let differences kind of sneak in and let us sort of uh, divide in different ways here? Um, There were some sporting events tonight. Is there anyone who would want to admit that they're on the other side of the dominant group here? Okay? All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. But think about that. Even if you came together, you could quarrel. <laughs> you could argue, and that's silly, right? But what sort of bigger things might come up? What sort of bigger topics could become divisions around some of those things? What God is saying here is, men, when, you, when, when the assembly comes together, you should pray with holy hands. So throughout the week, whatever you're doing, whatever, you, you come to that uh, with, with, with holy hands and without quarreling complaining those things should be set aside how powerful is that think about this and I don't, I don't know it, women how powerful would it be if every time we met whatever capacity the men took it upon themselves to come together and to pray Women, wives, you might look up and see, the, those are men that my husband disagrees with. I know that. I know that well. But look how they come together. And they pray. How powerful is that? Is that a big deal? That's a really cool thing. How sad that that gets lost because we want to hurry up and get at verse 9. What's more, as we get to verse 9, and we forget that it says likewise. So if we don't understand this, how are we supposed to understand the rest of this? So look at verse 9. So verse 9 says, not here, here. Verse 9 says, likewise also, pause for a second, what in the world is being talked about here? Likewise what? Well, remember in, in earlier in chapter 2, everyone is supposed to be praying. Most likely this is the same context. And women also, yeah, get together and pray. That, that, that's kind of the point. So men, think about this. How would it be <laughs> after you looked up from praying up here, we looked back, we saw our wives all praying. How powerful is that? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And it should be. I don't want to point something out here. It says, likewise, also, women... Do you think that because what follows this is different, that women, when they get together, they can quarrel? I don't think so. Do you think it's you were able to apply that mutually? Do you think that works? Do you think that, oh, women are excused from those commands. They can have unholy hands when they get together, and they can quarrel and have disputes. Is that what's being said here? No, when we understand it together in the context, we say, no, this is actually a holistic kind of thing. My point in saying that this is not a divisive passage. This is not separating them out. This is actually being specific. So what we see Paul does in verse eight, hey men, when you come together, you need to come together in this way. What he'll say to women is something that immediately applies to women, right? So the application is specific. But the teaching that is given to men and women is actually pretty much the same. You are all supposed to come and you're all supposed to do this thing. And it also doesn't mean that whatever is stated to women doesn't also apply to men, and that what's stated to men doesn't also apply to women mutually. Does that make sense? However, it's highlighted specifically for a reason. And there's, we'll we'll talk about that reason. So let's look, verse nine, likewise also women Stop. We're going to do something different. You are tempted to read the rest of verse nine. When I understand your temptation, we're going to go later. We're going to go to verse 10. Um, Actually, we we will read part of verse nine. We'll cheat a little bit. It says women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control. Skip down to verse 10. But what with uh, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works? We're gonna skip down to there because what's stated here in the uh, in verse ten actually sort of mirrors what's talked about in verse eight. So you look here, and it says that women, uh, what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The application point being, women, what you say should match what you do. And what you do should match what you say. And that's touching on the same lines that we see in verse 8. So what we actually see is that what's, what's being, let's what's relate to both, not just one, is that when we come together, we need to um, come together in humility and submission in prayer. That's where it starts. Humility and submission, and it begins there. We set aside quarreling. Men, set aside quarreling. Women, make sure that what you say matches what you do. We can see how these things work together, especially when you add in men meet with with holy hands. What you do should have been dedicated unto the Lord. These are hitting on the same, same vein. These are very similar. These aren't drastically different. Men, women, you do different things but the application point is more specific. This actually matches up with other parts of scripture we'll see here in just a second. Let's look uh, back at verse nine. Let's read it in its entirety. It's likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. This next phrase is what everybody gets hung up on for some reason, I, I don't know why. I do know why, we'll read it. Not with braided hair, with gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So what we see here is something that directly applies to women concerning what they wear. And I think this is really where it kind of goes off the rails for most people. Because then you have to to think about how do we we define some of these things. But I would like to challenge that for just a second. This passage, like we've seen, is not specifically talking about, hey, now, women, we're going to talk about what you wear. That's not the point. The point is we come together. We come together in prayer, like Mike talked about last week, what that prayer looks like, all the dynamics of it. We pray that way. Men with holy hands, no quarreling. Women specifically addresses dress first, but then goes really into the same topic, right? Let your speech match your good works. Uh, 1 Peter, we have a really similar passage here. Really similar teaching. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, 3 and 4. Peter says it in a different way, but it's almost exactly the same. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's nearly the same, right? Peter places an emphasis on a different portion of this, but it's pretty much the same teaching. So I think where this discussion goes off the rails is it is very difficult to keep in light, or keep in focus, I should say, keep in the the spotlight the main point of this passage when we can kind of delve here and go into a side quest where we're going to come over here and have a big old discussion on what women wear. And a lot of the commentaries that I read, a lot of the articles that I read spent way too much time defining those things. Um, and they would come to a conclusion, they'd say, well, this is a cultural thing. And so, you know, it's not that big a deal. Um, I actually think that what Paul says is exactly what he says. It's what he means. It actually is about the branding of hair and gold. And it is actually all about those things. But the reason it's all about those things is because those were used in a cultural way at the time that we don't use here now in the same way. We use other things in that way so the problem is is that we have a direct application to women given here and we get stuck because we try to take that conversation concerning modesty concerning what people wear and the prohibition on braiding of hair and we want to apply that directly to our culture but it doesn't quite work like that so kind of the point that's being, being brought here. And, and we kind of have to go into a little bit of history at that time. There was a bit of a sexual rev- revolution that was happening culturally. And we can actually see that because Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. Peter is writing to a completely different group, different group of cities. It's something that's not specifically Ephesus, but it's, it's kind of becoming a bigger deal so that both of them would bring it up. And what was taking place was you would have women who would show up to a a meeting, a gathering of, of some sort. And it became all about what a woman was wearing, what, what kind of jewelry she had, how her hair was, I know it says braiding of hair, but it was like pretty elaborate kind of things. Um, that were being done. And the point was they would then show up and display their status. Uh, I was talking with my wife about this, this passage and we talked for a while about it. and uh, It was a really good conversation. And and there are some examples that I think fit. We could say, well, we don't do that. We don't, we don't have places where women show up dressed a certain way and it shows their status. Oh, don't we? Don't we? Did we just have the Emmys? Truth is, most of us actually don't know. We did. What happens at an award show? What happens for all the time up before the award show? The red carpet. It's all about what they're wearing. And why? (laughs) Because it's nonsense. But what is that? It shows their status. It shows who are you wearing, how much of this dress, who designed it, what what jewelry are you wearing, all those things. And isn't it funny that that happens, and we, we, oh, yeah, that's culturally what that happens. Is that not exactly what Paul's talking about? So all Paul says is don't do that in the church. But for some reason, we look at it, and we go, and women, I don't know if you, you read that, and you're like, but I don't want to dress like I'm Amish. No offense to all the Amish people watching this, but why are you watching this? You're not supposed to be able to watch this. It's like, I don't wanna just wear beige. Right? I don't wanna have to feel like I'm sinning because I'm braiding my child's hair. And I'm saying it facetiously, but this has become a weird issue. That's not the issue at all. So if we put it to the red carpet, we can start to understand. So understand that Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in a a city that has some of these issues in their worship so it's not just a red carpet but at the time and and, and mike talked about this last week specifically um, in regards to women but in ephesus there was a there's a goddess worship there there was a whole priestess class i mean this was this is actually pretty intense and a lot of the people who are coming to church in ephesus came out of that so you could see the temptation which is like well we're coming to a, an assembly meeting like this is what women do but it was detracting from what is supposed to be in focus, namely we should be gathering in humility together without divisions and in prayer. That's the point. So, no, it does not mean you can't braid your child's hair. It doesn't mean that. There's another example that my wife gave, which I don't really understand. What happens if a woman wears white to a wedding? Say it, say it louder. It's like, oh, but then I remembered the office. There's the one where she says, you're not supposed to wear white to a wedding. She's like, it's an emergency. It's like, I look really good in white. That joke made sense all of a sudden. But the, the idea is, is that we, we totally know like, okay. Understanding that now a woman shows up wearing white at a wedding. It was like, that's, that's rude. Why is it rude? Because you're drawing attention from where the attention should be. Okay, direct application back to this passage. I don't need that. Direct application to the passage. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. So are you doing that? Did you get dressed today in order to distract from what should be the attention? Did you, did you get dressed today to try to show your status? You can confess that if that's really what happened but I'm gonna guess that it's not as big of a thing for us. I think there are probably still places where that could still happen. We're kind of talking beforehand and maybe it's not a dress that you wear, maybe it's what the under of your tree looks like at Christmas time that you put on Instagram and that's really what you're trying to do, so you're taking focus away from something else and putting it together, do you understand? In fact, if we took this whole thing and we said, we're not talking about dress, we're talking about Instagram culture, I think we could have a really good conversation and a contextual conversation that's actually matching up exactly with what Paul's talking about. So is Paul really talking about braiding of hair and gold and adornments and stuff like that? Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely he is. Because it's distracting from the main point that we have in chapter two, which sadly has meant that for most of the discussions that happen around this passage, it's become a distraction From the main point of the passage, you could almost say that by delving so deeply into that part of this, you are doing what Paul says not to do, which is to draw attention away from coming together in humility to pray in submission to our God. So back to the passage. I felt like I ranted a lot back here at the passage. Look at verse 10. So there's some things we could say about some of these words. And we'll go back to verse nine, um, respectable apparel. And I actually think that the wedding scenario matches up pretty well with that. It's just kind of disrespectful, right? So respectful attire. Okay. Um, not braided hair, pearls, and we already talked about that sort of thing. It says, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And as we saw in Peter, that should be the adornment that is worn for women. And the, the, the point that's being made is that this is because in the assembly, that is how we should be regarding each other and encourage each other in not, not socioeconomic status or a power status or who's in charge, who's at the top of the of the pecking order, but instead we should come in submission before the Lord. So think about this. This is, this is kind of interesting because this letter is talking about how the household of God is supposed to be. The household of God. It's important because the household is, it's a great ex- example for us because we all live in a household. And you can say, well, I'm single. It's like, yeah, but you and your singleness, you still interact with families. You're still part of households, if that makes sense. But it's about how is God's household altogether going to work? So going back to the Lord of the Rings example, we have a mission. So now we're talking about the fellowship. How does that mission actually become accomplished? It's so interesting because it is not how any other kingdom would have been set up. There's no battle plans here. There's no strategy for church planning. Timothy, read this book. It's on church planning. It's going to help you. That's, there's nothing like that. There's no manual. And what he says is, hey, get the household together. Get it to functioning properly. So you know what? Maybe there were specific situations where he says, men, encourage the men to not be quarrelsome when they come together and, and encourage the women to, to not make status a thing. So maybe there were specific things that were there. But the point is, is that you get the household right and you get the households right and then you live it and you fulfill the mission. That's kind of where we're at. And so sometimes we can look at some of these passages and say, well, the roles of women, like you don't understand. It's like, no, 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 you need to understand. God is saying my household is supposed to be a certain way. Okay? And it's not part of your ego, and it's not because of what you think, but God wants it done a certain way because this is a multi-dimensional, multi-generational mission. It's got to be carried on. Family to family. It's got to be applied to all these different families. We're thousands of years removed, and it's the same issues. So clearly God knows what he's doing. Right? A well-behaving household made up of well-behaving households building a strong fellowship. That's what that is. If we forget what we're supposed to do, we're all there to remind each other, help each other, support each other. Tucking on this idea of adorning. Uh, it's, there's, there's no slide for it, but Proverbs 31 was, I'm sure, recited to every young Jewish boy to say, this is the kind of wife that you should get. And, and you know what? Part of me is like, oh, I don't want to read Proverbs 31. That's so cliche. There's a reason why cliches are cliche. There's a reason it gets brought up all the time. Is because it's fitting. Just read through this because as we go through this passage tonight and the next few passages, we get to the point where we say, you know, does that really fit how we live now? Does this really work? Isn't that an old idea, old-fashioned, all those sort of things? I think we talked tonight about, I think we're kind of missing the point a lot of times. But a lot of the accusations that are thrown at the church, I'm gonna read through part of Proverbs 31, and I want you to tell me who has it right and who has it wrong, okay? Proverbs 31, starting verse 10. If you don't have your Bible open to it, just close your eyes and think. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is still yet night, provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. She deals in real estate. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She's a farmer. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's not weak. Where She works out. she She's fit for the task, right? I mean, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She doesn't sleep. Moms? She puts her hand to the staff and her hand hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's generous. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She thinks ahead. She's smart. She can see what's coming down. She's uh, coming down the, the path, and she prepares for it. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. So look at that. We go back to a clothing, an adornment. What does she wear? She wears strength. And dignity. I I love the next half of this. She says, and she laughs at the time to come. Isn't that great? She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's a teacher. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Keep this in mind when we reread this verse here. Likewise, also women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And I would challenge you to find a fence in that. We started talking about men. The lion's share of this is about women, but this really is about the family. It's about how the family interacts, how we work together, and I pray that as we walk through some of these other passages, we don't get distracted by the side issues, but we keep the main thing, the main thing. In closing, I'd like to look at Ephesians chapter five. The reason I wanna look at Ephesians five is because this is one of the passages that's pointed out where it discusses the difference between men men And women, and it is used sometimes to breed hostility. However, before this discussion of wives and husbands, there is a very wise statement made. It's part of a larger discussion, so it's really the end of the sentence. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we begin to talk about some of these difficult passages concerning the roles of men and women, we have to remember that when Paul relayed this to the Ephesians, he actually started out with this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if we begin there, it'll make our conversations concerning some of these more difficult passages a whole lot easier. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your word. Thank you for the enduring nature of your word. Thank you that time, distance, language can separate us from the writers, but we know that your truth is eternal and we know that your principles live on. And so, Lord, we are thankful to be the recipients of those things. Lord, I pray that we would apply these things to ourselves, men, that we would be as described gathering together with holy hands. And women, pray that you would likewise come together in prayer that that might be the essence of our meetings together, Lord, that as we assemble, we assemble in humility and submission to you first, first and foremost, God, that we might be those who exemplify a proper, organized household household of God. Lord, I pray that you would make this true of us, that our mission might be in the forefront of our mind, that we would not be distracted to the right or to the left, but we would fulfill the things you've called us to do. Lord, in our days, in our weeks, in our years, For we know that the moments, how we spend the moments is how we spend our life. And so I pray that we would do so in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you, fulfilling the mission that you have given us. And we'd throw off everything that encumbers and we'd encourage one another, Lord, as we do come together and pray before you. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.